Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's February 24th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, you're going to have to help me out here with our lead item to talk about today. Yeah, so this this is like the Christmas New Year's week for me, all right? Because, yeah. Because, you know, normally Christmas and New Year's are in the same week for most people, and that's when you get all excited. But for me, it was President's Day on Monday. <laughs> and by the way, I, I learned something that I had never knew, and that's almost shocking to me. But it's always great, because it just reminds me that I keep learning stuff. But did you know that Warren Harding lost... White House China in a poker game in the White House. Doesn't everyone know that? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a great little President's Day story about some things you might not know about the president, and I'm like, please. Yeah. And I started reading, and I'm like, oh, I did not know that. Wow. And I had spent time researching it, and I don't know, there, there's no actual proof that he did, but, uh, but there is proof that he was the absolute worst president and did great shame to my first place Ohio. <laughs> but, uh, and, and essentially they said you know he's like hey I don't know why I'm president <laughs> who voted for me <laughs> I don't want to do this her. job I just want to sit around and play poker with my friends and drink uh, drink alcohol even though there's prohibition so will you bore your friends at Hooters with this conversation now or or just yeah. me and the, and the no, Nation? No, I, I bore everybody I see oh, okay just yeah. curious but that started the week and then we end the week with the Oscars <laughs> I had to say it that way because I knew you wouldn't say it. So. Yeah, I would definitely not say that. Uh, but no, I, I, I'm a big Oscars fan, so uh, so this will be the fourth year in a row that I have seen every Best Picture nominee before the red carpet on Sunday. Impressive. It is, isn't it? Thank you. Uh, particularly ten? this year because... Is it know, ten movies? Uh, nine, nine. Nine, okay. Uh, it was particularly challenging this year because I don't want my, uh, you know, you, you keep saying, Scott, you got to do stuff for the company. I'm like, oh, gosh, Chris, get off my back, whatever. <laughs> but I'm also, you know, i got a campaign I'm going to run, too. So, uh, and, you know, then I, you know, because I had nothing else to do, I flew to Ireland for a week. So so it was very challenging this year, but I'm very happy to, to say that I uh, completed the viewing. I didn't get to yet. I still got time. It's a Sunday. But I have not got through all the acting Nominees, which I did last year. Last year I saw every movie with a best actor, best actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, as well as the live action shorts and the animated shorts. That was pretty impressive. But priorities, buddy. Priorities. I know, I know, I know, I know. Can't do it. But, uh, but anyhow, so uh, the, the priority actually, now that you mentioned it, was to get the best picture nominees done. So on Sunday I did a double feature of uh, Hacksaw Ridge, phenomenal movie. Mm-hmm. Go see it. Um, and then followed by Hell or High Water, which uh, a lot of people were telling me was really good, including our Andy Up Superfan in uh, England, uh, Rob Paul Chapman. And he did not disappoint. 
it ended up being my uh, my pick for second best picture. You know the uh, the silver uh, Oscar that they give out. Yeah, in case yeah. the best picture cannot fulfill its obligations, then you know Hell or High Water would take over for the rest of the year. You know. <laughs> Uh, after, of course, Manchester by the Sea, which was just phenomenal. But, wow, so La La Land didn't even make your top two. Gosh, no. It's uh, going to win easily. No, uh, no I, I, I'm a big fan of Damien Chazelle for, Chazelle for the uh, best director, because I think what he did with that movie was amazing. It just wasn't a good movie, I didn't think. Sorry. Wow. Sorry. Sorry. Wow. I didn't see it. I just, I just right. don't. Uh, but anyhow, so we're talking about Hell or High Water right now. And this is why we're talking about it on a poker show because there it was a brief scene, so it is never going to be considered a poker movie at all by any stretch. But there was a brief scene where one of the characters did play poker in a casino, um, and I, I don't remember off the top of my head over these past four years another Best Picture nominee having a poker scene in it. So we got that going for us now. In the past four years, yes, yeah. I'm just saying, I, I, I think the days of the Sting kind of movie coming out where, you know, it's basically about poker and, st- you know, whatever, and that that kind of stuff's not going to ever happen again for us. Yeah, I don't know. I think you can make a Best Picture nominee that is gambling-related, um, or even poker-related. Um, you know, movie Best Picture movie doesn't have to be... It's not about the subject matter. It's about the, the craft of the, right, right. of the movie, so... Um, it was probably easier to get uh, people to go out and watch The Sting back in the 70s than it would be that same kind of movie now. But I think it's possible. So was it an extended scene of poker? Was it uh, no. a so, believable yeah. scene of poker? Or what was in right. it? Right, so that's what I want to bring it up. It was, it was a very short scene. Um, so I guess the, the negative part of this being on a Best Picture movie, and, and I don't think a lot of people saw Hell or High Water, so it's probably not that big of a deal, <laughs> unless it ends up surprising and winning on, um, on Sunday. Uh, which I don't think it will, but I really hope Jeff Bridges wins for Best Supporting Actor. He was amazing in it. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know if we're actually going to see it or really what the big effect is, but the reason that they were in a casino was because the movie was about uh, these two people robbing banks, and then they, in Texas, and they drove across the state line to Oklahoma to go to a casino to launder the money. <laughs> ah. So they go and give them the money in cash, get the chips out. Uh, one guy would just sit at the bar and get drunk and then go turn them into another cage. Uh, the other guy actually went wagered some of them, um, including at a poker table. Nice. So, um, the whole money and lottery thing is probably not good for us. For our board, right? <laughs> so let's just forget that. But uh, but it was a, uh, to some degree, I'm going to give it a 50-50 score on reality. And again, we're talking maybe a minute or two-minute clip in a two-hour movie here. So, um, But it was a realistic table, realistic dealer. It looked like it was shot in an actual casino. Um, had the kind of people around the table that you would expect to see. So, in other words, it wasn't uh, people in tuxedos yeah. and gowns and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and, uh, you know, the guy checked by tapping the table and saying check. But at least he tapped the table, so you know, had a little bit of that extra believability. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a splash in the pot. Ah, oh. twice. Ah. Oh. Now, uh, in defense of the filmmakers, the character that was splashing the pot was a real jerk. <laughs> was he Teddy KGB? Uh, no, no, a different kind of jerk. Uh. Um, so it, 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 I don't know. I don't necessarily think that that was a miss from a poker perspective. I think they were just that was part of the character development that 
this guy's just a jerk. Okay. Everywhere. And jerk is the word I'm using on our PG show here. Right, right. I, there's a stronger word I would like to use. Deutsche Bank. Yeah, I said it. Candace at the same time. Can't, can't take it back now. I said it. Right? Yeah, you said it. Uh, but no, I think it's part of the character study of him that he's just a, a Deutsche Bank in all parts of life. So he was the type that would splash the pot. Um, so the only part that probably you could argue was not realistic is the dealer didn't stay you know hey hey don't don't splash the pot or no the players did either right right um, but that would probably take away from the movie making so uh, I was willing to give it a pass but but it was nice uh, to sit there on the uh, ninth of the nine best picture uh, nominees that I got to see to actually uh, see a little poker and, and when the star of the movie won a pot did Jennifer Harmon stand up and tap the table twice and give him a look <laughs> <laughs> that movie, oh man, oh man. Well, that's no. good though. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that poker is still not, you know, just being forgotten in some parts. And it, it's an interesting way to to get rid of the money. I don't see how it gives us a black eye. I mean, I, you know, what I mean, just because criminals find something that's remotely related to what poker well, is. Well, I, I, I would argue that if you were a good law-abiding citizen, you probably never thought about how you would launder money. Yeah. Right? And now you're like, oh, wow, it's that easy to do that? And, <laughs> and it's not that easy to do it, so don't go out, all you kids at home, don't go out and launder money at a casino. <laughs> it is a little bit harder than you might think. Uh, it's certainly harder than, than they made it look like in the movies, but it, it probably is possible. But, um, but you know, the other thing, too, is they could have the guy play uh, Blackjack or Crabs Roulette, but the choice to have them at a table. Yeah. Yeah. Which probably, again, from a dramatic standpoint, because there was a standoff with him and another player that kind of wasn't a plot point, but it kind of, again, did more to the character study, and that probably would not have been as effective at a blackjack table than a poker table when you're staring somebody down. It's jerk on jerk action. <laughs> so the other thing, too, is that you know you go into a casino and there's cameras everywhere and they monitor your every single move. So these guys show up like at the big game with Doyle and Todd and all of them and plunk down 500 grand. Well, they wouldn't be doing that because they're trying to launder the money. They're trying to lose the money. <laughs> no, I know, but you sit down, play a couple of hands and cash out, pretend to get a phone call or whatever, and then you take your chips with you and sell your right. cash, and then you go cash. You know, that's how you launder, too. Well, that, that, that's more believable than the guy just going to the bar and leaving the chips. To the yeah. Bar, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Until the, his friend uh, kicks the hooker away and then they go <laughs> catch it out. So that, that's probably not the way to do it. You know, not that I have any experience in this at all. But, but now, uh, so folks, if you're looking for a movie to see, Hell or High Water is highly recommended by me overall. Uh, but it also has a little poker element. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, we got some exciting news for the anti uh, poker cruise program, Chris Owens. Wow. All right, well, I thought it was exciting. I just got a hey, lukewarm wow out of you. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so Royal Caribbean has chartered the ship for December 5th, and the uh, poker crew is sailing right out from under us. Yeah, you know, people need to know what that means when you yeah, say exactly. that, too. I was going to explain it. Yeah, right. so uh, this is the second time it's happened to us. So essentially what happens is some uh, big, deep-pocketed company, much deeper pockets than Annie up, came to them and said, hey, we want to we wanna rent the whole tariff out. We want the whole thing. And they said, sure. And so then what that means is anybody that's booked, or including smaller groups like us, they had to go back and say, hey, sorry, <laughs> this really rich guy company uh, took the ship, so we're going to move you to another sailing and make it worth your while. So that's what happened. Uh, fortunately, after a lot of back and forth, it's not that big of a change in terms of dates or location everything. 
But I, I think we, we got an upgrade in this, I would argue. Because mm-hmm. um, now we're sailing on December 11th, so a week later. Uh, we'll be sailing out of Fort Lauderdale instead of Miami, so same general area. Um, but we'll be aboard the Independence of the Seas now, um, instead of the Navigator of the Seas. Now, we were very excited with the Navigator of the Seas because it's a, a Voyager-class ship. It's a, a big ship with lots to do and a huge conference center room for us. The Independence Sea is a class above that with the same size conference center and even bigger amenities on board, including Greece. Greece is the word. <laughs> Um, on board, um, and now we got a completely different interior, so we're going to different places than, than we are on any other part of our cruise schedule all the way through the early part of 2018. Uh, this ship will be stopping in Falmouth, Jamaica, and Royal Caribbean's private island of Labadee, Haiti. So all in all, um, an upgrade, particularly when you consider the fact that the uh, same low rate of three ninety-seven dollars per person based on double occupancy for inside staterooms is being um, extended to us from Royal Caribbean. It's pretty awesome. And the best part about Jamaica is the memories I have of it going up the ski lift with Scott and making him white knuckle it the whole way. <laughs> we, we were going on the Jamaican bobsled ride, which was just unbelievably awesome. And we'll probably do it again if I go on this cruise. Still one of my top probably three port stop, or four uh, shore excursions. Yeah. It was unreal. And uh, growing up there, Scott's like real quiet. And if anybody knows Scott, Scott's never quiet. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm afraid of heights. I'm like, what? He goes, this is, this is really scary for me. I'm like, you mean way down there when you're falling? And I'm making the damn swing go back and forth. Yeah, shaking it in your hands. You're white knuckling, holding on to the railing. And, oh, man, that was hilarious. I've never seen you so freaking vulnerable in my life. <laughs> I don't do well with heights. Or unrestrained <laughs> heights, I should say. So... I could, I could be on the 100th floor of a skyscraper, Ferris Buellering it, you know, my yeah, but, window, no problem at all. Yeah, yeah. But when I am just, like, up there freestyling it, <laughs> nothing holding me back other than this little bar and my annoying business partner, that's when I get a little scared. <laughs> but I'm not trying to encourage people not to come on the sailing because of that. Uh, you don't have to go on that short excursion. But if you do, uh, that's definitely what I would do again, despite... The white knuckle ride to the top. Yeah, it's the phenomenal. The ride was just amazing. Yeah. Didn't even use the brake. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why would you? It was awesome. Uh, so Plus that whole thing you had, uh, Duns River Falls, too. Which yep. Once you've done that, it's, yeah, you don't really need to go back and do it again. I've done it twice now. But if you've never done it before, it's really amazing the first time. So. Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Na- na- natural wonder kind of thing. It's pretty crazy. And then, um, I think found me this first port stop, so the second one is Labadee, um, and uh, it's a private island, so it's not a huge, expansive port stop, but they've actually done a lot of stuff there, and it's, uh, I think it's a better private island than Coco Cay, which we, we have gone several times in Bahamas. Um, but they have a roller coaster there, too, which I didn't, and it's not a bobsled, so it's not probably that was cool, but it is a roller coaster. But they also, the big attraction there is their zip line. Zip line, yeah. You zip from the top of the mountain all the way down, and you land on the beach, which is really cool. I haven't, yeah. haven't done it, but watch people do it. But uh, You can see them from the ship, too. You see these bodies going across the sky yeah. from the ship. You're like, what the? Yeah, it's pretty crazy there. Yeah. So I'm really stoked for these two poor stuffs. They are there, too, that I really like going to, and then we haven't been there in a long time. Oh, boy, that was probably what, our fourth or fifth cruise. Yeah, that there. was really early in the early in the, the 2027s now. 10 so, or yeah. something, yeah. So it'd be good to go back there, and again, at three ninety-seven a person. I mean, we were just ecstatic that we got that rate to begin with, and now that we got that on a uh, better ship and a better itinerary, it's even better. So, 
Uh, come join us on December 11th. Um, and if you can't make December 11th, uh, we got a bunch of other cruises already on the schedule. And you can get the details at antfcruises.com. And uh, we're working on another one, hopefully for the summer to add. But we'll let you know if that works out. Um, and then, of course, we will be looking for the rest of our 2018 schedule probably here in three or four months. Okay, any updates? Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi will host two Annie Up Poker Tour series this year. The first, the Pearl River po- uh, Spring Poker Classic, runs from March 24th to April 2nd, with the winner of the main event appearing on the May cover of Annie Up Magazine. And the second, the Pearl River Poker Open, to be scheduled this fall. For more information, go to AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Pearl River. Also, if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Annie Up in your home area, Apply at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in Michigan, North Florida, and Louisiana. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at AnnieUpMagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Mark Helley. He says, On my last day in a recent trip to Las Vegas, I was playing a 2-5 Nolliman Hold'em cash game when Steve Zolotow sat down. That's right, Steve Z was sitting at my table playing 2-5 crappy Nolliman Hold'em. Pretty cool. I probably won't sit at too many more cash games with anyone else who contributed a section to the Super System book, one or two. I wanted to ask him to tell us some stories about his times at the Mayfair Club. However, I quickly realized that no one else at the table knew who he was. Further, I thought that once he sat down, other players would want to join our table. But our table was shorthanded for at least 30 minutes. When the table eventually filled up, it was apparent that the new players did not know who he was. So I played quietly for the hour and a half that he was at my table. We played three pots together. He won two, I won one. I was wondering, should you point out that someone at the table is a really good player? Is it uh, is it fair to that person if you say, hey, I really liked your section of Super System 2, can I get an autograph? Conversely, does the pro gain an advantage if he or she can play relatively anonymously and you say nothing? If the pro wins the chips, won't it be more uh, difficult to get those chips from him or her? I didn't say anything until after he left. No one else claimed to know who he was. Um, all right. Well, that's a lot of questions. But uh, I would say in general, uh, what I mentioned to Mark is that I think he was kind of going on two extremes here. Uh, one, not saying anything to him, right? Mm-hmm. Or the other one going, oh, my gosh, Susie! Yeah. And making a big deal about it, right? But I think uh, the, the right answer is probably in between there. Uh, I think you could say something like, hey, Steve, how you doing? So now you've acknowledged that you know who he is. You didn't use a last name, so people, I mean, thousands of people are named Steve, right? Right. Probably more than thousands. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you haven't really blown his cover necessarily unless somebody looks up and sees who you're talking to and then goes, I didn't recognize him, right? But... Um, and then that, that gives you that gives the pro whoever it is an entree to engage with you if, if he wants to he or she wants to or if not so if you know if he just acknowledges you then you know huh, all right probably doesn't want to be uh, bothered um, but if he starts talking to you then probably wants to be bothered and then then you can have a better conversation with him but uh, I don't think it's as extreme as, as being completely silent or just gushing at the table I could go either way on this because. I don't think it's up to you to decide whether or not this guy's 
famous or not or whether or not you know if it was somebody like Doyle Brunson the whole world would know who he was and he has to deal with that situation so if you recognize somebody now you're the one that has to decide whether or not he's at a level of celebrity that warrants you just obviously saying who he is and saying hello or is he you know what I mean it's not up to you to protect his anonymity I think if he if he's choosing to go out in public and play and write a chapter for a super system and you want to play poker at the same table as this guy and you want to recognize him and talk to him about it, talk to him. But at the same time, you know, I don't know if you should, like, say to everybody at the table, this guy wrote a chapter for Super System. He's freaking crazy and great and you stay away from him. I wouldn't get any pots with this guy. You know what I mean? I don't know. But at the same time, I mean, what's the big deal? Now, Mark did not mention that he was drinking. So <laughs> this guy's a pro. A drunk voice. You know, I mean, he wrote a Super System book. I'm pretty sure that he can handle if everyone knows the table who he is. You know what I mean? When he sits down with the real pros, they know who he is and he's playing with them and making a living. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, right, but there's probably a case to be made. You know, why is he playing in a two-five game? Which, you know, there's no reason that he shouldn't. But you know, you're right. If he could sit down at a table of pros, I mean, there might be a reason he's playing at a two-five. You know, or it might be that that's the only game open right now, or or maybe that he's trying out some stuff at a lower level, or maybe he just decided, hey, I'm Steve Z, and uh, I'm going to go, you know, get some dinner money here by cleaning up on these. Two five recreational players. I don't know, right? I know, I know. I know. Just uh, get rid of the the goatee and the glasses, and you know, because <laughs> we all know who you are by the way you look. So, no, I know. It, I, I'm like I said, I'm not one of those. I mean, you and I have been dealing with celebrities pretty much our whole journalistic careers, one way or the other, whether it was sports or you know poker or whatever. And I've never been that way. I don't make any kind of overt kind of thing anyway I just sit there and mind my own business or whatever but I'm just saying you knew who he was Mark so you know what I mean there's nothing wrong with saying something to the guy like hey I really enjoyed your because you want the guy to know if everybody knew who he was you'd say it so what's the difference you know I don't know I don't think it's it's your responsibility to protect this guy's anonymity if you recognize him you want to say hi to him say hi to him no of course not I'm not suggesting protecting I'm just saying there's a way to get his attention I acknowledge that you know who he is doesn't cause a big scene so you know like for example when i was uh kind of take it a little bit differently you know when i go to my rock shows and the next day i'm in the airport line and there's the women from vixen right in front of me right mm-hmm. and i could be like total fanboy and just like shriek and let everybody know hey these are somebody that are famous and then have them all try to figure out this and and, and I would say mob them, <laughs> but there could be more people from the concert there, right? Right. Um, and really inconvenience them, or I could play it cool, and then, you know, once I get to the security line, ask one of them, hey, can I take a photo? And then it doesn't cause a scene, doesn't cause any problems, um, and you still get the validation that you want, right? Mm. Without inconveniencing them. So I would argue at the table, too, if you make a really big deal about it, uh, now it's distracting from that person's enjoyment. Um, you know, obviously they they chose to sit down, but they didn't necessarily choose to sit down and become a spectacle, right? If it happens, it happens. But I don't. I, I think it's a reasonable question for Mark to ask about whether we should create a spectacle around someone that is not already themselves creating the spectacle. Well, here's the deal: if Steve Zolotow is having dinner with his you know significant other or whatever in some restaurant, you don't walk up to him and go, "Oh." Because this is private seeds, it's private life. But if he's playing poker, which is his, you know, vocation, and he's sitting at a table playing poker with you, that's what he does. I would argue that if you go to a concert and Vixen's on stage, you go, "Ah, oh, Vixen's on stage! You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. This is your vocation." 
But if he if they're you know having dinner with themselves, you don't go up to them and go crazy. So this guy's involved in what he does for a living, which is what made him famous. So you right. treat well, him as such. We're talking shades here. I'm just talking about <laughs> a way of doing it where you're giving him the option of remaining anonymous to everyone else but you. Right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's and just it's so- I'm just making a point that you know it's it's just a guy. Sitting at a well, table and it's and also think about this. It's funny when you see like uh, celebrities. Uh, well, you know, it looks like like you know. I just finished watching the latest Celebrity Apprentice. Terrible. Oh my gosh, Arnold. No. <laughs> Don't quit your day job. Um, but we always like when they do these celebrity shows. Uh, not even that, but maybe like Dancing with Stars. All anything that has like a celebrity cast, right? And then we're all sitting there like thrumming through Google. Who are these people? Yeah. I don't know who these people are yeah but they are celebrities in their own world right so um you know so some of those people might not be recognizable to some people and and they might like that they might you know i i would imagine that some poker not every poker pro wants to be fawned over at the poker table every time he or she sits down right yeah um some probably enjoy the fact that there might be a day that they can go and play and relative anonymity and the ones that don't like that are the ones that are going to be are going to let you know right they're going to sit down and talk about how they you know want a circuit ring or you know whatever they're going to throw things out there to make people know hey i'm somebody right mm-hmm. so if steve was not doing that i i think there's a reasonable expectation that he's not trying to be flashy you know that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to be acknowledged and wouldn't appreciate being acknowledged and talking to you and uh, having the rest of the table know who he is. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. If you, if you do it, you know, casually, then, then you'll get you pick up on the cues. We're all poker players, right? We're supposed to be picking up on cues. So, Did we uh, clear that up for you, Mark? <laughs> Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at antietmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home to the Annie Up Group discussions. Comes from Greg, and I love this one. We put it in the magazine, this issue. It says, uh, here's one I haven't had to deal with before, and I've been running tournaments of 30 to 40 players for almost 12 years now. When we reach the final table, we draw new seats, move our chips, and take a break. Somehow, when we returned, Player 8 sat behind Player seven stack, and Player 7 sat behind Player eight stack. This went on for nearly a full orbit and a half until Player 7 realized his chip stack appeared about 75,000 short. I asked what card he had picked, and he re- we realized the seeding mishap. Both players paid their blinds, won minuscule pots, and no one really did any damage to the other stack. In light of these facts, I simply told both players to sit in their correct seats, and thankfully, without protest, they did. Was this the correct call? How should it have been handled should someone's stack have been hurt or have been eliminated? Elliot says, I can see where this might happen once in a blue moon because it's dealer at the final table will not have dealt to the players in their new seat assignments and possibly not really be 100% sure of who is supposed to sit where. This is one of those situations where the correct answer is, quote, it depends. The TDA does not cover uh, this rare situation other than to say that all players are responsible for correct seat assignments. On a side note, I am hoping that the TDA does not choose to bring this up for discussion this summer at our next gathering. Uh, your players didn't do anything truly consequential, and you did the right thing by putting them in their proper seats with the proper chip stacks. Had anything serious occurred, such as big pot won or lost, I would be inclined to make a golf ruling and let them play it where it lays. 
is more of a big picture version of not a misdeal ruling. It does get very dicey as it, on Pandora's box dicey in the spot. I'd be very hesitant to make a player whole by replacing his inadvertently spent chips if he said nothing for a decent amount of time. Also, we can be certain that one or both players intentionally sat behind the wrong sack and the player or player should be disqualified and the remaining ship should be removed from play. With a little effort on yours and the dealer's part, this can be avoided. You can give the dealer a pen and paper and the dealer can write down each person's name after they move their chips. This is player-friendly unless the players learn the names of unfamiliar players. It's also great for generating tips. Attendance can then be taken when the players return from break. You can give seat cards or some other kind of ticket with the seat assignment written down, so each player must return the ticket or card in order to sit down after the break. See, that would have uh, saved me in the World Series. Yeah. yeah. You know, we wouldn't have had that huge delay and had to go to the video camera to get my 1600 back from the guy who stole them. He inadvertently stole it. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Let's not do a hell or high water thing here, right? All right. Wasn't trying to uh, save the family farm. Uh, We get the complete O'Malley's move today. Here comes part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're down to three-handed in that same 50-person, $100 buy-in, no-limit hold'em tournament. The stack sizes are 30 big blinds for the big stack, We have 18 big blinds, and the short stack sits with 16 big blinds. The blinds post, remember, no antes in this tourney, and we look down at the ace of spades, ten of clubs. The Casenza. This is a strong holding three-handed, but we have been a little gun-shy lately, and just elect to call. The small blind, the player with 16 big blinds, makes it two and a half big blinds to go. This raise has become the standard now that we're short-handed. The big blind folds, and we make a few quick decisions. Knowing this player is probably the best at the table, I think this is a steal attempt, assuming we're weaker than we are. Knowing that, coupled with the fact that this player c-bets most flops, we come up with a plan. We will call this raise and his predictable half-pot bet on the flop, then take it away on the turn, when he still has about 10 big blinds, and we have some fold equity. There's six big blinds in the pot after we call, and the flop is a raggedy one. The nine of diamonds, five of hearts, deuce of spades comes down. The small blind predictably leads out for three big blinds, leaving him with ten and a half behind. We make the call quickly, leaving us with twelve and a half. The turn is the ace of hearts. Our plan is working out perfectly. We wait for our opponent to check so we can take it away from him, and he... shoves... Our opponent shoves for ten and a half big blinds. If we call and lose, we're down to two big blinds. We've got top pair. What's the play here? I think our opponent has a wide range here, and I don't like to be spooked with decent holdings in spot. I'm calling. I know. I can't believe it got to the turn, and uh, I also can't believe we limped with the Casenza. But what a turn. Thank you very much. I'm calling. <laughs> what a turn. Exciting, but I'm glad you're excited about it. Well, I mean, we we, we stayed in his hand like, for oh no. Oh my gosh! Inexplicably, we stayed in the hand after that flop, and then the flush that I hit my two out. Or what a turn! <laughs> it's just nice, buddy. I know, but we shouldn't have been in the hand. Then we get lucky and hit one of the two overs we have. It was very nice. So, all right. What so I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna call. Here we go. Here comes part two. Hello again. I should have raised pre-flop. Now that my plan blew up in my face, I'm left with a pretty difficult decision. Could this be something like ten nine? Raised pre-flop with a decent holding three-handed? 
bet top pair on the flop and then shoved, assuming we would have raised preflop if we had an ace? That story makes sense. Then again, so does ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, or an overpair to the flop. On the other hand, he could very well be holding a weaker ace, maybe two-pair. But the only one that really makes sense here is ace-nine. I don't think he would have flopped a set. He knows if he checks the flop with a flopped set, we'd bet into him. This could be some kind of nine that also gave him a flush draw. Knowing what we know about this player, if he had nothing, he'd check the turn. I think he has something, but not something he's ecstatic about. I fully expect a nine or a weaker ace here. We call. Our opponent turns over, ace eight. The river blanks out, and we are down to heads up. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, when playing shorthanded, make sure you open up your pre-flop raising range. This could have been a much easier situation had we raised pre-flop. I hope to see you on the felt. I agree that we uh, we put ourselves in a bad situation, but uh, I'm glad we saw through it. You know, the small blind raise out of position with ace eight? Huh. Very interesting. Uh, I think I may have been gone, like I said, after that flop, but then again, I probably would have raised with the Cassandra preflop, and maybe that ace eight would have been gone. So I'm glad we called the shove, though. I mean, we were, we were ahead. I didn't expect anybody to have a better hand than that. We're down to three-handed, and you're questioning a small blind raising with ace eight. Uh, I don't know. The ace is a monster. I mean, you just like four seconds ago. What? What a turn! I know, but and now you've got an ace in your hand, and you're like, oh my god. Well, I I was I would have raised in position. Now I got the ace eight. I'm kind of disguising it. I don't know if I want to raise there and be out of position. Because what's going to happen is you're going to let the ace ten guy get in there. Yeah, I guess he did get in for a raise anyway. Yeah, Yeah. it didn't matter. So, but interesting. Very interesting. I kind of forgot they were three-handed, too. Sorry. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of one to remind people. So. All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Uh, this comes from uh, Dave Miller, and uh, he says, I love the podcast. I tend to listen as I drive to my local casino. Keep up the good work. Yes. That's great work. Good work. Yeah, it's good work. It's he's giving us room to improve. Nothing wrong with good work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, he's playing uh, one, two, no limit uh, at the Sands up in Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania. Nice room. Uh, remember that. Did you go to the Sands with me or not? Yes. Yeah, it was a nice they, like old warehouse kind of feel. Yeah, David Urie was there when we yeah, were there. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, all right. Uh, he says, I uh, joined the one-two table in the cutoff seat. Uh, while I fold five hands pre-flop, I see one hand gets a straddle that is re-raised by the straddler, and three get limps followed by a raise to 10 to $12 and some calls. Uh, only one has several players with no pre-flop raise. And uh, we are under the gun with jack of hearts, jack of diamonds. Well, it seems like an aggressive table... Um, seems like we need to raise more than. I mean, I know he said ten to twelve was what was working, getting some calls. It's like a real aggressive. So I would, I would do the maximum of that. I would do twelve to fifteen probably, just because I'm under the gun too. It's not like it's a, you know, oh, or later on in the hand and I'll, I'll raise to twelve and there's only two guys left in the blinds or something. You know, I mean, now it's you got to get through a full table. So I want to make it worth what I think it's worth and not, you know, what I mean, from that position. Not that I'm gonna vary my bet sizes i'm just saying i think it feels like 15 is the right bet here well i think you make a good point we're not talking about varying our bet size we're talking about adjusting our opening raise based on 
the information we have from the table, right? Right, so exactly. If, uh, normally, I would raise to ten dollars, uh, but if he's witnessed that ten to twelve dollars still gets some calls, I don't want some calls with Jack Jack. I would, I don't mind one call, right? Some calls. So that means now that I'm probably going to adjust my standard raise to fifteen, not just for this hand but for every hand, and then then it's consistent going forward. But um, where normally ten should make the change or get the reaction that I want, it's obvious at this table that it's not enough to do that. So we need to make it fifteen and see how things go. Yeah. All right, our hero raises to twelve and gets five callers. Oh. Swell, he says. Yeah, not sure fifteen would have done anything then. No, uh, probably not. But um, still, wow. It's a live game, right? Yeah, <laughs> twelve bucks and five dollars. All right, the flop is nine of hearts, five of clubs, jack of spades. Nice. And the blinds check to us. Nice. Well, there's what sixty in the pot. Actually, he said sweet, not nice. But... Oh, all right. sweet. Uh, so five callers at twelve oh, yeah, bucks minus is about the minus the rig, so, yeah. Um, so still about fifty-eight, sixty dollars in pot. So I don't know. I mean, geez, that's a lot of people. And even though there's no flush on board, a lot of people would call with something like Queen Ten. Scott in two thousand seven would do that. Um, seven eight, you know, six seven, six eight. You know, there's a lot. Ten eight. There are a lot of people who would call 12 bucks when there's four other callers. So there's some drawness there. You know what I mean? I like that word, drawness. Drawness. That's um, so I think I'm going to bet a, a decent amount here. There's 60 in the pot, like 30 or 40 or something. Because that's a lot of people. There's six people in this hand. Yeah, absolutely. And even though this flush isn't there, and I know we've got top set, you still want to thin the field. So I well, would bet a decent amount. You want to thin the field and, and build a pot, right? And so build a pot. There are five callers. You know, even a half pot bet is probably going to get somebody coming along. And you know, I want them. I want that money. I don't want anybody catch up to me. Right. Let's get people to put money in while they're still drawing. And and you're right. The an astute player will notice how hidden these straight draws are on this board. I mean, when, you, when you're sitting there with Jack Jack, this is kind of a board that you, when you see it come out, you're like, oh, that's great. But then when you really do dig down into it, you're like, you're right, there are probably some suited connector 7.8s or 6.7s out there that um, could be a problem for us. Yeah, yeah. So what do we say? I'd say like 30 to 40, probably. Yeah, I think it needs at least to be 30. Uh, I might, in a, in a bit of misdirection here, I might go as high as 40 and, and try to make myself look vulnerable. Um, and try to make it look like I have like something like ace-jack. How do, you, how do you do that, Scott? You bat your eyes? and yeah. How do you, you make yourself look look vulnerable and maybe ace oh, no. What does I, that I, mean? I think the standard seabed here would be a half pot, right? That's mm. what we're talking. So 30, actually probably the last night because they probably take probably take them almost a max rate out by now. But anyhow, um, so it'd be 30. Um, but if you bet a little bit more than that, um, and if people are noticing it in the 1-2 table with five callers when you raise 12, I'm guessing there's not a lot of... Uh, brain surgeons here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paying attention. But if you bet a little bit more, then it makes it look like you're trying to protect your hand more than we really are. I mean, the, the bet here is more for me to get money than to protect my hand, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to check and, and let those weird straight draws get there. So, but if it makes it look like, you know, hey, I just want, want you all out of this pot, that tends to encourage somebody to get in because they think they might be able to catch up to you. And then if you bat your eyes at them too, and true, you know, 
look shy. Maybe they'll. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I guess what I'm saying is somebody maybe with like an ace nine or maybe not even an ace. I don't know what it is, but a nine or something like that, or even a five. That's you know now they think maybe maybe by betting forty or fifty they may think you have ace king, so they have you beat now. And um, whereas if you conventionally if you had a big hand you would bet no more than half the pot maybe even less because you're trying to get people to call right yeah all right so i like the 40 dollar bet too then all right i'm bet my eyelash at you so uh all right we bet 22 hmm. uh player to my left makes it 50 nice uh, the button calls and it folds back to us. Is that you saying nice or is that him no, saying, it's that? saying it's nice? It's him saying nice. Okay. Uh, wow, and we got another caller too. Wow. I I I'm thinking. Ugh. I mean, right now we obviously have the absolute best hand possible, but. I don't know if you want to slow play this. If you got guys willing to make it a bunch, and they got a bunch in front, I don't know what they have in front of them, though. That's the thing. I don't know what. Uh, that's true, too. But, yeah. But if this guy's got a big stack, and it looks like he's trying to steal it from you or something, then you might just call. But now you've got this other player who clearly one of these guys seems to be drawing or something. Because, I mean, when you make it 22, and someone more than doubles that raise, and another guy calls that, Someone's being funny and someone's not worried about you because they're hoping that you just call and they get the right price for drawing and they're straight or something. It doesn't make sense to just call because if you've got the best hand possible, then are they really doing that with pocket nines or pocket fives? So I don't know what this, these people have, but I don't know if I'm willing to slow play this either and let another guy in for that price. You know? uh, we got live ones now, and I would say just based off of this, the the player that's raising probably is is got something like middle pair or something, or maybe they have a jack, maybe they have the case jack with something else. Um, and then the fact that the button calls that's indicating to me that that's our straight draw that we're worried about. So at this point, now we've got a hundred dollars in the pot plus what we had pre-flop now we got a pretty nice pot here already right yeah we got 122 plus 58 so we got 180 in the pot basically i'm so i'm willing we, to bet <laughs> yeah. if we raise it here then we'll find out maybe the player that, that initially raises might have a middle or bottom set that would be awesome um and we're going to get it all in but if not if nothing else i really think that this button is the one that i'm worried about in terms of a draw so if we raise now Let's try to get that guy out, and we can we can do hand to hand combat with a guy that has a made hand that can't possibly be better than ours. Right. And if he has the made hand, I mean, it's really hard for him to catch up to us, right? There's not a made hand on this board that that can catch up to us. It would have to be runner runner, right? Well, unless it's pocket fives or pocket nines, they turn quads. Well, that's, that's the only. But that that is a distinct possibility in this. It is possible. Because you could easily get into this hand with pocket nines and not re-raise the $12 initially. Right, or, but, you know, if we boat up here, we're going to get it in, so anyhow. Yeah, right, I'm so. about that. I'm more worried. So what I'm more worried about is if we let the button, who, again, I'm just assuming is on the draw based the way this is going, get in, and then one of those straight cards hits on the turn. Now we're in trouble, right? Right. we got to figure out not only do we have this other guy who has some piece of the board, but now it's more likely that this other guy that's in has caught up and passed us and then we're gonna have to get better so yeah, yeah. let's get that guy out 
and let's let the guy that we think have some sort of made hand that we have crushed stay in. And, you know, hey, if he has a set of nines or set of fives and hits a case one, you know, more power to him. That's great. But I would rather go head-to-head with all this money in the pot now, head-to-head with that guy, get the other, the draw guy out. So we make it, well, like 100, and then we, we frown instead of batting our eyelashes because we're trying to intimidate now? Is that what you're trying to do? You're trying to... Yeah, I guess 100 is a... It's a min-race of what he had, min-race essentially. And um, You're right. I wish we knew what the stacks are here, but that seems almost a little weak, but depending on what the chip stacks are, you know, I would do nothing less than 100. Here. Yeah, like 100, 125. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm fine with that. All right. Uh, here says, well, I feel that he may call a re-raise. I doubt both will call a re-raise, so I'm, I'm just going to call and see what the turn is, which I may check call. Mm. Yeah, see, I think this is the problem is we've got ourselves uh, smitten with our hand and not smitten with the situation. Yeah. Because if you think about it, by not re-raising there, you are letting the player who made it 50 and the button who called see the next card for free, essentially. Because exactly. he's willing to put 50 in already, and the other guy was willing to call 50. So now you're saying, oh, I'm going to give you a free chance at that card now because it's like your hands are tied, and they're not. So you're literally giving them a free card now. I don't like that idea. Yeah, I don't. Let's see how it works out for him. The turn is the Jack of Clubs. <laughs> okay. Worked out pretty well. Oh, jeez. The board is now Nine of Hearts, Five of Clubs, Jack of Spades, Jack of Clubs. And, of course, if you're following along at home, that means we have quads. You literally cannot lose the hand no matter what, unless it's a misdeal. <laughs> Even then, I don't know what happens. And uh, here it says, sweet. Uh, and he says, note, I know you expect hands of the week to be losers, but rare, but I rarely tell stories of my losing hands. I like the positivity there. Oh, uh, one of those guys. Uh, get him working on my campaign. Comes home and he loses 150, tells his wife, oh, yeah, I won 300. <laughs> <laughs> None of those guys ever tell their losers. They always tell they win. All right, since so hopefully the Razor Caller hit a set, uh, hit the set on the flop and now voted up, so I plan on check raising. Um, so he checks. I guess we should stop to see how... Oh well, jumped ahead here, but it's interesting. But the um, fact that we called, we bet, and then we called the raise. I, I think I'm probably going to check there as well. Yeah, I'm going to check because of that. I'm going to check, right. but I think we're losing money now. I think if we put it our way, we'd make more money. Um, because if this guy now is worried that he had a caller behind him, and then we call too, he was hoping that his fifty dollar bet was going to make everybody fold. So now, if you check, you're giving a chance for it to go check, check, and then you're going to make just whatever's on the river. And even then, you may not make any money. I think you would have made more money had you bet. So I don't like this. I mean, I like the check because of the situation, but I have a feeling that it could result in zero money. And if one or both of these people had the undersets to us, had we raised, re-raised on the last one, they certainly would have called, right? Yep. And now it's easy for us to bet out because now we've emboldened them because now they've voted up. I mean, obviously, if they're good players, they'd be cautious about what kind of hand we have. But they're not going to put us on quads, right? Right. At that point, they might think that we have ace-jack and then we're going to get it all in, which is great, too. So I think we really... We'll see how the hand plays out here, whether we get it all in with somebody or not. But I, I think we cost ourselves money by not raising on the last street. I agree. Um... And as it turns out, we cost our money on this street because it checks around. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I was wondering because, like I said, that guy who made it 50 was probably hoping that you were just C-betting with Ace-King, and then when he got a caller behind and another, and you called again, now he's like, oh, there goes that plan. 
you know, that could be the thought process. And the other guy is like, yeah, free card, baby. I'm on the button. Give me my free card to make my straight, you know. Uh, oh, well. Yeah. Hopefully something gets there for somebody on the river. All right, here we go. Sigh. <laughs> uh, river is the queen of clubs. Uh, so our final board, nine of hearts, five of clubs, jack of spades, jack of clubs, queen of clubs. So clubs do get there. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, we are first deck. Well, there was about, what did we say, 100? There's 150 from that last bet, and then the 58. So it's about 200 in a pot, right? So I'm going to make it some sort of bet that they at least call and get my money. You know, so I'd make it like, I don't know, like a third of the pot, maybe. You know? Yeah, see, actually, now now we have uh, chip stacks. Let me give you those. So Uh, we have squiggly 135. Um, and the other two players have squiggly 180 and squiggly 200. So we're the short stack. I like I like a fifty dollar bet here. It's the same bet that the other guy made, so it kind of looks like you're doing that thing. But it also looks like, hey, I'll have 85 behind. I can fold. You know, so it kind of gives that sort of you're just trying to steal it because you have one one pair or something with the jacks, you know, or something like that. Well, wouldn't that be the same thing if you bet a hundred? A hundred's pretty steep, though. It is pretty... Well, it's, again, less than half the pot. And then you only have 35 left, so that looks right. silly. So it, it's the same idea you're trying... It's the same story you're trying to say. Is, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave myself some bus fare in case I'm wrong, right? No, I that, see that. I don't trying. think anyone ever thinks that when they see someone bets 100 of 135, they think you can't fold. Hmm. I don't see anyone ever saying, I'm going to save myself bus fare, ever. They always say, like, you know, you can't fold now. You got 35 left, and they always just throw it in. I've never seen anyone do that, leave 35 you know what I mean? That's just not a lot of money. You're betting 100 out of 135. That's, God, that's what, 75% of your stack? Right? Something like that? Yeah. So, I mean, geez, I can't imagine. Why would you even put, why not just put it all in? So well, I, I think there's an argument for that as well, too. Yeah. But I, mean, that, two people still I want to make sure I get a caller, though, because I, I went check, check the last round. I got no money. I need some money from the quads. I'm betting 50. Alright, I think it's a little low. I think I'm betting more than that. Alright. And, I mean, I guess you're right. If, well, no, I shouldn't say you're right. I, I do think that the, the bus fare is an effective move, so I'm going to go 100 here. But, because remember, not only did the clubs get there, but the straight got there as well, too. Or a straight got there as well, too. So it's possible, since everybody checked this last time, that both of them got there. Might be cautious about it. Um, yeah. Well, again, I mean, we would have got more money in the last the uh, last couple of streets already. So does eight ten really call fifty? Does king ten really call fifty from that button? I don't know. I don't know if the straight is a good one. Clubs would have had to go runner runner clubs. Yeah, I think straights would have had eight ten fifty. Fifty one two. We had five people call our twelve a uh, twelve dollar raise pre flop. This is a loose game. Fifty to win one twenty one thirty. Yeah, maybe. Eh, maybe I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm not sold on that much, but I would say 50-ish is is right to me, just because I, I lost. But you're right. We need to get some money out yeah. of this now because we probably didn't play it properly beforehand. Uh, all right. Uh, our hero says, hopefully the razor or caller was trapping or at least drawing, which now hit. But I can't risk another check, check, check. Uh, I'm just not sure how much to bet. He says, mind you, I have uh, 135. The other players have 180 and 200, as I already mentioned. Uh, pot is two twenty. 
is I want to make a bet enough to make it worth it, but low enough that if either player did hit something good, they might be tempted to raise again. Uh, finally, I settle on 75. So right between us. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. That's fine. Uh, just over what half of what I have left. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it's probably the right bet because then it, it, it does give somebody room to raise and feel like they could push this out of this pot. But it's also, I mean, that's it, a third of the pot. So, I mean, if you've got any piece of this at this point, I would say any piece of it, but a big enough piece that it's probably a bet that you're still going to call. My right. hundred might have been too high. Right. I guess we'll see. It was, I, it was, I think it was significantly less than two twenty too, because you had one fifty from the three bet, the three on the the flop, and you had fifty eight before. But then you take at least seven out of that pot, yeah, the rate, so yeah. that's like only two hundred. So not that that's twenty dollars more is going to make a difference, but it was about two hundred, right, give right. or take. Uh, the razor thinks for a bit, uh, then folds. Oh well. Uh, the caller goes tank. He starts muttering to himself. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then says, uh, "Do you have a full house?" Uh, crap, I don't think he's going to raise. Might not even call. I quietly say, no. Uh, more muttering. Uh, then again, he says, do you have a full house? I speak up and say, maybe you didn't hear me. Say no, I do not have a full house. Yeah, look at that. Score. Nice. Good for you. After some more muttering, he finally calls. As I show my hand, I again say, I don't have a full house. He looks and says, quads? Why didn't you go all in? I respond, Really? Because I want to call. Would you have called it all in? He gives an ambiguous answer, which is fine by me, because I wouldn't know if he was telling the truth. Uh, but do you think I should have gone all in at some point? Uh, the only time I would have gone all in on this hand would have been after the flop, once the guy made it 50. I might have considered it then, because it looks like you're going to get someone to call. Um, but if the button was on the straight draw, which is what it sounds like, because he called, uh, and was worried about the flush or the full house, so that's why he only called... And it seemed that's the way you tell the story behind. Is that the way he? That's why he only called on the flop. And so, I think the only t- chance of me shoving would have been after the flop once the guy made it fifty. Other than that, no, I definitely, definitely not shoving. I wanted to bet fifty, and the guy folded for seventy-five. So you know, there's no way shoving you're going to get a call from that guy. And then this guy right, made you go through the ringer. Yeah. I mean, again, let's go back to the flop where we both would have raised there. So it, it, the the least we would have raised. <clears throat> it was another 50, right? So that would have left us 85 behind at that point um, if everybody calls. And at that point, everybody still probably had some hope, right? Right. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine that both of those players fold for our raise to 50 there. Um, so that leaves us 85, and that's another 150 in the pot. So then on the turn, we we got to put it in now, right? Yeah. So I think we would have gotten all in, but I don't know whether... I mean, the way that he played it, there's not a street where I would have bet all in. Right, and that's what I was saying, is that when he, by the way he played it, no, I wouldn't have gotten it all in other than maybe after the flop when that guy made it 50. But since we only called, that's the only turn I would have, a chance I would have made a chance to get it all in because we, the way it came down when we got to the turn, now you check because this guy made it 50 and you're giving him back the the power, hoping that he's going to bet again. And when neither one of them bet, now you're like, ugh. So... Then you don't just shove on the river because you barely got one guy to call. The other guy probably would have never called even the 75. Yeah, he did think for a while. So, yeah, it's probably it, results-oriented. Yes, we probably would have cost ourselves money by shoving at that point. Yeah. But, um, and if you went my way with 50 on the end, you might have got another caller and made $25 more. But 
who knows what the last guy would have done had he gotten another a caller. So he might have said, oh, I can't be both of them. Well, and he might have folded too. So, you, you know, I think you probably get the max out of this after you didn't re-raise again on the, or re-raise on the, on the flop. Yeah. But that's all right. You mean money. Quads, wow, we never get quads on the show. Well, again, this is one of those, uh, the lessons that you learn by playing Omaha. You know, going back to like last week's show, the show before where somebody was experimenting with new games, right? Right. So, you know, what, the big lesson you learn from Omaha is that you got to get people to commit their money on, while they're still drawing, while they still have hope. Yeah. Once, once that draw hits there, um, or doesn't get there, then they're not going to put any more money in. So it's the same case here is that, you know, I think we got excited that we had top set and the inclination for a lot of people is a slow play and try to let people um, get there. But here, would, would we, there's an opportunity for us to get them to pay us now because they had two cards to come. Whereas once we got to the end here, a bunch of stuff hit and apparently wasn't what the initial racer had. Yeah. So he had no incentive to put money in and the air guy was a crying call. So... Um, but we, we probably could have got these people to commit more chips to us early in this hand when they still had hope. Good point. Very good point. Hey, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.